If you would please stand, our Bible reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. You can find it inside the bulletin, uh, or you can pick up one of the Pew Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 27 on page 936. This is Luke writing in the book of Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of Adraminitham, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us, and we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Uh, coasting along it was, it, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred their injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. 
When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach, But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest, on planks or on pieces of the ship, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your spirit upon us this morning. Open our ears and hearts that we might hear your word, Father. Believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the last 10 days have been quite a journey for me from uh, Texas to England to Scotland uh, and home again. My son, Will, and his wife, Paige, are studying in Edinburgh, Scotland for a semester in William's um, business school graduate program. And uh, so I had the privilege to go over and help them get situated. And I got to see a, a very dear old friend of mine, Dick Lucas, who had his 96th birthday and he and I were able to go out and have a meal together and celebrate his birthday. And then I got to see our friend Colton Huckabee, who I'm happy to report is settled in London, England. Looks remarkably uh, okay. Uh, He's not nearly as jet-lagged as I feel at this very moment, uh, but he's doing really, really well. And I'm so proud of Colton for going off on this adventure in London. It's quite a change for a Texas boy to just go off and, and do this study, uh, course of study. I'm very, very proud of him, and I'm, I'm very happy that the mission team on their own decided to make him a, a beneficiary of some support from MetroCrest. So uh, it's been an interesting, very, very interesting week of a journey for me, which was uh, interesting because this morning's Bible passage is about a great journey, 
uh, talking about jet lag, I guess at the end of what we read about in Acts chapter 27, Paul had one heck of a case of jet lag because he went through so much in this remarkable journey. Um, there's actually a, a Greek word, a noun, which is very important in the book of Acts. We've bumped into it before. It's the Greek word hodos, uh, and it's forms and derivatives, hodon and hodu. It shows up many times in the book of Acts. In the ESV and other English translations of the book of Acts, hodos with its derivatives is usually translated, and I counted up ten times where this is the case, it's translated as the way. Hodos is the Greek word for way, the way, as in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, 19, verse 9, 19, verse 23. And most recently, in relationship to this passage, in Acts chapter 24, verse 14, the way. In fact, Paul himself, in his defense before the Roman authorities, described the Christian life as the way, the the way of following Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, that same Greek word, hodos, is again translated the way when Jesus tells his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So this word, hodos, is very important in Christian thinking. It, It helps us to understand that Jesus is the way, the road, Uh, The street, these are all words sometimes uh, that uh, hodos can be translated as the the street, the highway, um, uh, the interstate, we would say today. Or if you're in Britain, you might say the motorway. Jesus is the motorway. He is the way to uh, the Father. And uh, that is the way we tend to think of Jesus, I guess, probably more than any other thing. We, We think of him as our way to get from point A to point B. He is... Uh, the way we get from where we are, in a sense, to where we're going, to heaven. He is the way to get to heaven. And uh, he is that that method, that uh, means by which we can go where we want to go or where we most hope to go. But actually, elsewhere in the book of uh, Acts and elsewhere in the Bible, Uh, Many other times, the Greek word hodos is actually not translated as the way, uh, as in highway, road, etc., but as the journey. Hodos equals journey as well as way. Um, So when we think of Jesus as the way, he's not just the the means by which we get from point A to point B. Uh, He is, in a very, very important sense, the journey itself. He, he is the journey. He is not just the means by which we accomplish something good. He is actually the journey itself. Our life in Him means that He is that journey that we all live through, that we're all a part of. As Christians, uh, our life individually and as a community truly is lived out in him and like in all journeys like my journey recently there's some bright spots there's some high points there's some fun things I get I got to do that's true with a lot of journeys but there were also headaches and there were a lot of what I would just call adventures we didn't know how they were going to work out at the time but they turned out to be great adventures and I'll tell you I had a couple of adventures and so did Colton in his little miniature journey on his way to London. Well, in the Christian life, Jesus is also that 
shared journey. And in him, as in the book of Acts, there will be uh, fun things, wonderful things, exciting things, amazing things. There will also be headaches. And through it all, there will be many, many adventures. And that's life in the journey. The life in the journey does not deliver us from the challenges and the obstacles and the hardships. It actually means that in those things, we actually live out our life in Christ. And I find that not only to be very encouraging, but also very helpful in terms of understanding The Christian life is not a life that is free of difficulties. You don't have to be a Christian very long to know that. In the Christian life, we all experience hardship. We all experience adventures. And Jesus tells us, and the book of Acts tells us, that he's actually in all of it. He's not just a means to an end. He is actually the life we live as individuals and together in this great journey. That's what I've called the sermon this morning, the great journey. Jesus is the great journey. And we see that, I think, in Acts chapter 27 in particular. Uh, The story begins in just that way. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they're preparing their journey. When it was decided that they would do this, Uh, The Roman authorities, uh, King Agrippa and the others, delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. That's a a very telling name, Julius. That's that's a Roman name of Roman names. Julius, Julius Caesar. Uh, This this Augustan uh, cohort officer, centurion, was actually named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, perhaps someone who had been converted through Paul's ministry there. And that begins the story of this amazing journey. It's a a remarkable story of Paul making his way under these extraordinary circumstances from his having been locked up in prison under the Roman authorities in Judea, making his way from there all the way to Rome. As a matter of fact, you you could say that the book of Acts tells the story of the gospel in the person of Paul making its way from Judea to Rome. The story of Acts tells that story of that great journey from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And that's what we're reading about here in this one of the concluding two chapters. Uh, The the book of Acts wraps up with this amazing drama of the story of this remarkable journey. You know, journeys, books about journeys were bestsellers in the ancient world. Uh, There were many books about journeys. In fact, the the most widely read books of ancient uh, middle, uh, the area around the Mediterranean, some of the most widely read books of that entire period were books about journeys. You remember, for instance, the story of the Odyssey. Homer's book, The Odyssey, the story of Odysseus making his way after the fall of Troy, and he's making his way home. That's the story of of his experiences. Uh, 
And that was a, perhaps the most widely read book of the ancient world in the, in the Greek culture, the culture around the Mediterranean. They all knew the story of Odysseus. There was a Roman version called the Aeneid, the story of Aeneas written down by Virgil that told the story of the founding of Rome. And that story was wrapped up in a story of a, of a journey. Aeneas making his way and all the things he experienced, all the adventures that he had as the adventures of Odysseus make up the Odyssey. There are these ancient references to, to stories about adventures in this journey. And many scholars have, have underscored and noted how many similarities there are in the Odyssey and the Aeneid and these ancient books about journeys and our own book of the Acts. Now, they're very, very different. But here in this chapter especially, there are interesting and very significant parallels. We'll see that again in chapter 28. There's a famous story about Odysseus being washed ashore with the group of men who were with him. Uh, they also had a terrible shipwreck. And that was written down in this bestseller that would have been widely known at the time. Luke, who was a Greek speaker, who knew the Greek culture, when he was writing that story in the book of Acts, it had to have been in his cultural background, this idea of, of journeys and the significance of journeys. It had to have been in their minds. And so the parallels help us to understand perhaps Luke's point. Part of what Luke is telling us here in this last couple of chapters is how the book of Acts records this momentous journey, the most momentous journey in history. After Christ's own life, death, and resurrection, the most momentous story in the entire Christian life is recorded here in the book of Acts. As the apostles make their way from Jerusalem just weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection, as they make their way to Rome, the center of the known world. So Acts 27 sort of underscores the significance of the whole book. This isn't just a series of disconnected stories. Luke had a purpose. And his purpose is to tell of the beginning of this, this great journey and the significance it would have not only for himself and his initial readers, but for Christians through the eons, through the decades, through the centuries, the millennia. This story helps us to understand our life today because guess what we're still living this journey our little journeys are a part of this great journey this momentous journey the most momentous journey that took the gospel from a handful of people in Jerusalem through the millennia all the way to Carrollton Texas and how with people around the world we're the beneficiaries of this this great journey and it has so much significance for us. So it begins with this description of the, of the way they made their way in this journey. It, it, it has place name after place name after place name. Names that don't really mean very much to us unless you pull out a map and you realize that what they're doing is crossing the greatest body of water they knew anything about. And how they tried to stick close to the islands to have the best, safest sail they could possibly manage to have. They actually crossed the open water. That was not something ancient sailors wanted to do. You only did that when you were really determined to get somewhere by a particular time. They were fortunate because it says they found a great ship in verse 6 
uh, of Alexandria sailing for Italy. Now that, that doesn't tell us a great deal, but the ships sailing from Alexandria were these enormous grain-carrying ships. If there was any ship that could get safely across the Mediterranean through the open water, it would be one of these enormous Egyptian ships carrying all the grain from all the granaries of Egypt, taking them to the masses in Italy and in Rome. That's what they were doing. And so they took advantage of this enormous ship. We find later on that there are 276 people on board the ship. That's an interesting detail in verse 37. Luke actually pauses, and the ESV writers have put this in parentheses because it's a break in the story. Why does Paul record there were 276 people on board this ship for this great journey? Well, more about that in a second. But with the crew and the prisoners and all the people on board this enormous ship, there were 276 people. I read one or two liberal scholars who said, well, that couldn't be. You couldn't get 276 people in an ancient ship. And I read other conservative scholars who said, of course you could on these grain ships. That's what they did. Uh, Josephus, a scholar writing at about the same time as Luke, he also made mention of these grain ships, and he also mentioned crews of even more than 276 people. Well, Luke wanted to anchor what he's writing in reality. He anchors it in history. He anchors it in geography. This isn't a story about Narnia with imaginary places. These are places where you could visit. These are places you could, to this day, look up and find in an atlas. They were real. And so Luke anchors his story of this great journey in reality. And so he goes on to describe the experiences they had. And it began in a remarkable way with Paul having this prophecy that they would all die. That's not the best way to start out a journey. The prophetic idea that you would die in the process. But that's what Luke shared with the people. He actually, with the, with the crew and with the, the others around him, he actually shared that he had this understanding that they, that, they would, uh, that they would all die. Look at verse 10. Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much life, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. And this isn't some crazy charismatic goofball. This is the Apostle Paul who says this is what we're entering into. This is the experience we're going to have as we begin this great journey. So you see there's, there's a lot going on as Paul is wrapped up in this great adventure, this great journey far beyond himself. And we've seen that again and again and again. As, as um, Colin pointed out last week, Paul's already at this point been through five trials Five engagements with the Roman legal authorities. He had every reason to understand the limitations, the dangers, the risks. He knew he was going to a trial in an unfriendly court. Over and over again, he's been passed along in this bureaucratic judicial process. And here as he makes his way under arrest by a Roman uh, legionnaire, a centurion, uh, he is very aware of the risks and the dangers that he's living through at that moment. So that's the great journey. And it, it describes some of this in extreme detail. It, reads, it really does read like a, an adventure story, an, an odyssey or an Aeneid, the things that Paul and his friends endured. Now, it could be read as an adventure story only, and it, 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 it's a very good adventure story. It's a very good story to describe one man's amazing experience. 
But I want to underscore a couple of things that are important, not only for Paul's journey, but for our journey as well. And one thing I want to draw your attention to is something that would be so easy to miss. But if you look at chapter 27, verse 1, there's a word, a pronoun, that jumps out. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy. If you track the pronouns through the preceding chapters, the the court cases and all the trials of Paul, over and over again the word is he, they, it's the third person. It's describing a story that involved Paul and the experiences he individually had. Here, as we've seen before in um, Acts chapter 16, for instance, Luke enters the story. He's actually there. He's not just describing something that happened to Paul. He's actually describing something that happened to him. He was there. He was part of this story. And right through this chapter, you'll see over and over again, we, 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 we. In fact, if you look over at verse 20, at 37, it says, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. We. This is a story not only of one man, but of the, the people around him. It's, it's really a story of the church. The great we. You know, one of the ancient emblems, symbols for the church was a ship. In fact, in these old cathedrals you bump into in England and Scotland, the main part of the body of the church is called the nave, N-A-V-E, the nave. That comes from uh, the ancient Latin word for ship. And that's where we get the word navy. Well, the church has been understood as a kind of ship. It was, just, it was sometimes understood as Noah's Ark. It was sometimes understood as the, the rescue ship. Well, the great we in this passage reminds us that what is being described here is the beginning of our journey. It's the beginning of our journey, the church's journey, Paul's life, the life of the apostles, beginning with the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection. Uh, That is the beginning of a great journey for all of us. So it's no wonder the Christian life is called the journey, the way, the, the, the lived out experience of those who are in Christ. So if we read Acts chapter 27, not just as the story of Paul, but a way for us to understand our life and our adventures and our experiences and our hardships. I love the way Troy began the service this morning by just acknowledging what we all know to be true. We may be able to smile and laugh and we can clean up pretty well and here we are at church, but every single one of us brings our own challenges our own issues, our own fears, our own anxieties, our own grief and sadnesses, our own adventures. We're we're all bringing that together as we come as the great we here at Metrocrest. And of course, we're just a little tiny part of the, the greater we, the church, not only around the world, but across the ages. Our little life, our little experiences all fit In the great journey, the great journey that takes us from the beginning to the great day when Jesus will be revealed in glory. And our life fits into that. 
the great journey, and the great we. You know, uh, uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll look at my own experience, or I'll look at the experience in our church's life, or I'll look at church history, for that matter. You do a lot of that when you're traveling across Great Britain. You see a lot of glimpses into church history. Uh, when we went to Oxford, we saw the spot where Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake. There's a little tiny monument in the middle of the street. There's a larger monument at the end of the street, but there's a little monument in the street where Thomas Cranmer was burned at the stake for his faith in Christ. That's part of the great we. But it's interesting here that the we describes not only the church, it does include Luke and Aristarchus and Paul and the other Christians and the other prisoners, but the the 276 in verse 37 actually includes everyone on board the ship. It includes Julius, and it includes the other pagan sailors from Alexandria making their way on this enormous grain ship. Paul is expanding his idea of we to include the church, but also to include our neighbors, the world around us. It's actually a very significant change in the way Paul and Luke understood we. You know, so often in the Christian life, we we can reduce everything to us versus them. The little church embattled, all the drawbridges up, circling the wagons. How's that for mixing metaphors? That's how we can so often think of the Christian life. We're on a journey together, but we're huddled close, and we're only concerned about one another, getting from point A to point B. Well, the interesting thing about Acts chapter 27 is that the we included not only the church, but all those who are around the church. So when when Paul has his second vision, he has his first uh, description of what was going to happen. They were all going to die. So I guess you could say it's a a, a kind of a word like judgment. They were all going to die. But the second vision he had is a a different vision. It's a second vision that God gives him. And it's very important that Paul deliver this message. It It was a message from an angel who actually said to Paul that, no, you will not die. In fact, you've got to get to Rome, Paul. You've got a mission. You must get to Rome. And everyone on board this ship will survive. Paul says, I've got a purpose. God says to Paul, I have a purpose. You're part of it. Those around you are part of it. The we in this story, you are all part of this great adventure, this great journey. And I'm going to preserve everyone on board this ship. And it actually says they all make it back to land in verse 44. It was that all were brought safely to land. The great we. Paul was important in this story But as it unfolded, God actually brought along others with Paul. They had a role to play. They were part of the story. And they had a part to play as well. You know, I I was thinking about that as I was preparing for today. I thought in in terms of our great journey, our being part of Christ's church in the world. um, The people around us are part of our story. The last thing I'd want to do is put up a big gate on Hebron Parkway, and you had to have a code to get in and out. If you were a member of Metrocrest, come on in. If, if you're not, just 
going by. We don't care about you. We're here for one another. We love each other. We don't care about you. But you see, the great we of Acts 27 won't let us think about it that way. Our church has a role to play at Christian Community Action. Our little church has a role to play at Pulsar Elementary School. We have a role to play. They they are around us. They're part of where God has placed us. And it's our privilege in Christ's name to bring good news to them in a time of judgment. I, I really believe God has entrusted to our little church a message of hope in a dark and desperately needy world. You see, it's not just we who are having a bad day. It's not just we who face challenges and obstacles. We live in a community, a world, that's facing obstacles. And what, one of the things we learn from Acts 27 is that we have a message of hope to the great we of which we're a tiny part. We have a, a message, a God-given, Christ-anointed message that we are called to bring to the world. What a privilege, what a responsibility it is to bring this message to the great we of which we are a part. And that's what Paul does. That's what Luke is doing as he writes the story down and he passes it from his own hands to the church's hands. And it's come all the way down the generations to you and me. That the church of Jesus Christ, and this is is the message of Acts, the church of Jesus Christ is here to bring the mission of Jesus to the world. We're not just a little club with a special interest in theology. We are a mission organization. We are here in Christ's name to continue Christ's work. To reach out to all those in this journey with us. To share the good news in love and faithfulness. I've got to tell you this past week as I've been traveling around on on my journey, I visited a couple of churches And let me tell you, they inspired me. They really inspired me. I I was so amazed to see incredible Christian hospitality, incredible Christian openness, welcoming strangers, extravagant generosity, people caring for people they did not know in Christ's name. It made me very grateful for Metrocrest. I can't get over how God is at work in us, in you, in so many ways, sharing the love of Jesus in concrete ways with others. Now, we have a lot more work to do. A lot more work to do. What a joy it is to be able to do that work. To reach out, to bring good news, to bring hope. Colin talked about an unbreakable hope. We see that in Paul's own life, in his own ministry, in front of these court after court, king after king, tetrarch after tetrarch, we saw Paul with this unbreakable hope. Well, I see that in, in you. I hope to see it more and more as we, as we live into this journey, more and more as we live into our life in Christ, this incredible journey that we're on. A couple more things I, I want to make sure we notice. In the great journey, with the great we, there's this great sustaining Meal. It's it's the most most amazing little detail in the story. Uh, It it comes in verse 33. Um, 
As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. This has been a, a, a terrible journey so far. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Then verse 35. When he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. And it's at that very point where, where Luke, who was maybe a deacon who had, who had to count how many portions, he had to count to make sure there was enough food for the 276 people. But he, he notes that they were all encouraged and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the sheep, throwing out the wheat into the sea. There's this sustaining meal on board this ship in the middle of a storm. Now, I want to be very careful here. I don't believe that Luke is recording a ritual. I don't believe he's recording a liturgical ritual. What he's actually doing is recording what this ritual we're about to share symbolizes, which is to take bread in Christ's name, to remember in Christ's name, and to take and eat that food as the sustaining meal that we need in this crazy journey that we're on. It's not a stop at a roadside halfway point. It's the sustaining meal. It's the, the wholesome, rich food that we desperately need in the midst of the storm. How like the Lord to arrange it in such a way that when we get to Acts chapter 27, with no manipulation on our part, we happen to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today. When you come forward in a few moments, I hope you will come forward with an unbreakable hope, sustained by Jesus' love, sustained by what He has done for us on the cross. It's in Him that you and I can have confidence that we can face the challenges that we face, the deeply personal ones and the social ones and even the global ones. We can face those challenges sustained by our being nourished in Christ, which is what this meal is all about. It's not a ritual. It is a shared, sustaining meal in Christ. It is through Jesus and being fed on Jesus that you and I are empowered to do the work He's given us to do. Uh, we take the Lord's Supper very seriously here at MetroCrest. I'll be mentioning in just a moment that this is for all of God's people, but I recognize there will be people who aren't part of Jesus' family yet. There'll be people sitting here who haven't made up their mind. Maybe they've come to a church for a long time, but they just haven't made up their mind. Well, my prayer is that all of us will respond to this message of hope. All of us will put our trust in Jesus. All of us will lean completely on Jesus. And the interesting thing is, as people see you and me doing that, as non-Christians see you and me leaning on Jesus, being nourished by Jesus, the interesting thing is, they will be blessed by our trusting in Jesus. God amazingly, supernaturally uses our witness and the way we deal with all the various 
crazy things we endure, He will use the way we endure them to bring people to Him. That's part of the story of Paul's five trials in Roman courts of law. People saw how he handled it. They saw his hope. They saw his conviction. And Acts actually records story after story after story of people turning to Jesus because of what they saw in the life of one Christian. And brothers and sisters, as we face the challenges that we face in our journey, God will use that to bring other people to himself so that they too will find encouragement, they too will find hope. And it, it involves this meal. It involves our togetherness around Jesus, our trusting in Jesus. There's one last thing I'd like to make sure we all notice uh, this morning, and it has to do with the great destination. Uh, God has given Paul a vision. An angel actually hand-delivered a message to Paul. And it was a message that Paul delivered to the captain and the Romans and the others. Uh, he wanted to make sure that they received this message. And the people received it. Now, we don't, we're not told all that that means. I don't know if Julius became a Christian or not. It wouldn't surprise me. But there was a great destination and they were going somewhere. This journey is leading somewhere. And of course, uh, they're Lots of midpoints as we make our way. We all have points in our journey. Well, there's a great destination, and they're making their way to Rome. They're making their way where God wants them to go. And the wonderful message of verse 43 uh, is that they make it. Through thick and thin, through hardship and trials and obstacles, they make it. Uh, he ordered those who couldn't swim. This is the Roman uh, Julius. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. I mean, it's, it's an amazing picture of them making their way. Some, no doubt, very strong swimmers, they swam to shore, and others just hanging on to a plank for dear life. They make their way together towards the destination where God has called them to go. And one of the reasons this story is here, if, if the ship had crashed and no one had survived, chapter 26 would have been a pretty gloomy end to the story. Paul under arrest, Paul getting sent on a ship and he died at sea. But God had a purpose, God had a plan and that plan included Paul making it to Rome and in his making it to Rome, he brought others with him. He got to his destination and Luke carefully, lovingly, faithfully records the fact that Paul and everyone else made it. It's just a little glimpse of the, of the salvation, which, which is much bigger than making it to the next point on the map. The word saved is used a lot in this passage, in this chapter, over and over again, being saved. Well, it's all pointing beyond this story, beyond this specific journey, towards the ultimate journey, the greatest journey, and the greatest destination, which is this. God has a plan. He will bring it to fruition. He will bring to the destination all those whom he has called to go with him. He will bring them with him to salvation, to the fullness, the great destination, the ultimate destination. And Acts is about that. It's about putting hope and confidence in the one who saves, the one who brings us, 
The one who sustains us. The one who calls us. The one who empowers us. The one to whom we look. The one to whom we pray. He is the one who will bring us where he wants us to go. Paul had an unbreakable faith because he knew we have an unbreakable God. We have that same God today. And we don't know all the details. We don't know the martyrs among us. We don't know those whose deaths will actually pave the way for others. We don't know all those details. But what we do know is the God who reigns over the journey. The God who has a perfect purpose and we get to be a part of it. Well, we're almost through with the book of Acts. We have a couple of more opportunities to reflect on this great journey. I hope we'll do so, sustained by this constant refrain that we can trust the Lord. We can lean into Him. We can be confident in Him. 